Howard Hart was a beer vendor. You know, one of the guys who walks up and down the stairs at the stadium during a game shouting, cold beer. And it wasn't a summer job for him. It wasn't a starting out job. It was his career. And he loved it. Partly because every now and then his job delivered these incredible moments. Like this one time he was working a Mike Tyson fight in Atlantic City and he was in a back hallway. And... Along comes this entourage, like about, oh, there's maybe eight or ten people uh, surrounding Muhammad Ali. Well, he was my idol when I was a teenager. And he yelled, champ, champ, you're always my hero. I love you. And one of his entourage shoved me against the wall. I mean hard, pushed me against the wall. And Ali stopped. And he said, leave the boy. I'll never forget this. He said, leave the boy alone. And he looked over and he reached his hand out to me. And I reached my hand out. And we didn't really shake hands. We kind of clasped like railroad cars to the tips of his fingers and the tips of my fingers clasped. And he looked me in the eyes. He said, thank you. Thank you very much. And he smiled at me. And even right now, it just uh, it makes me glow inside. I've got goosebumps just thinking about that. Muhammad Ali. Right. To me, if you said to me, well, what's the highlight of your vending career? Uh, that might be that might be it right there because you could feel the presence of a gentle and kind human being. I'm Dan Heath. Welcome to What It's Like to Be. This is a show where in every episode we profile someone from a different profession. We ask what the tensions of the job are, the highs, the lows. But ultimately, it's about the most basic question of human curiosity. What is it like to be someone else, to walk in their shoes? Today, we get to know Howard Hart, who was a stadium beer vendor for 35 years. We'll learn how many beers you can carry at once, what can get you fired on the job, and it actually turns out there are like beer vendor sting operations that happen, more on that later. And we'll also hear what the coolest event was that he ever worked. And it's pretty incredible, trust me. So let's get to it. Here's what it's like to be a stadium beer vendor. So when you're walking around the stands, you're carrying a beer tub. Is that right? Like, paint me a picture of that. How big is it? How much beer can it hold? Well, sometimes you can, you can put somewhere around 50 pounds in it. If you pack it right, uh, you can get about 48, 16-ounce beers in there, depending on the, you know. 48? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Especially the Budweiser bottles. I loved it when they went to the aluminum bottles. You could really pack those in there. And uh, yeah, you had to be strong uh, to carry that kind of weight. You're carrying 50 pounds up and down stairs for like hours at a time? Well, only in the beginning. After you get done selling well, something, that's you true. Kinda, <laughs> that's you know, true. Well, and you don't do that. Listen, if it's a small crowd, you don't do that. But when, when there's a big crowd, you take whatever you can fit in that case because the idea is you don't want to waste time walking back and forth to the vending room. The whole idea is to maximize the amount of money that you can make in the time that you're there, except for me it became a little bit different in that I figured I could make as much money if I had regular people and treated people and develop relationships, then I could talk with people as well as sell my products. And that was kind of my thing. My thing was uh, 
I love the relationships that I developed with regular customers in Baltimore and Washington. Oh, so you get to work like the same parts of the stands? Oh, yeah. yeah, That's one of the things about it. No, the vendors, if you go to any ballpark in our country, probably, I mean, as far as I know, with the the ballparks that I've worked, that's one of the big things. You get assigned to a certain area and you develop the season ticket holders. That's your your bread and butter, especially for I had no idea. So you get to sort of cultivate a a family in in a certain section. Oh, yes, absolutely. Listen. Uh, just recently, to give you an example, um, I just recently got a a card from a, uh, a customer of mine that I've had for like 30 years, and uh, he's an old guy. He's in 30 he's years. Well, yeah, no, I got, uh, yeah, I got customers to go back to the very beginning when I started, back to 82, 83. Sure, I do. I got a few mm-hmm. people that are still around, but I just got a card from a, a gentleman, um, Frank Kaufman, who was living in an assisted living center with his wife, and his wife died, and I'd been sending them cards. I never stopped. I sent Christmas cards and Easter cards and all those kind of things to a, a group of people, and um, he sent me a a heartfelt note about his wife dying and how painful it was. And I knew this guy. I know his children and his grandchildren. It's just an amazing experience to develop these relationships where um, you feel their joy and you feel their sorrow. And I've had that. (laughs) That's one of the things I miss. And it's been very difficult for me personally to not have this. Many people have trouble when they leave their job. I've read this. I've heard this from friends. But leaving vending, not vending, it's like I've lost a huge uh, social life that I had in the ballpark with my fellow workers and with the customers, my regular customers in the stands. So, like, how many people that were your regulars, how many do you think you would recognize if you saw on the street? Oh, gosh. At least I can guarantee you there'd be easily over a hundred. I mean, more than that. Holy cow. So it, it's like you've got your own kind of makeshift neighborhood that you've that you've created <laughs> over the years. You see the same faces. And, it yeah. was. It was. It, look, that one of the greatest rewards of the job was that every night that I went to work, I was guaranteed to have people, when they saw me, they'd break into a smile. And when I saw them, I would break into a smile as well. And oftentimes hugs or how you doing, how's the family, you know, it was, uh, I guess, kind of people watch television, the, the TV shows like Friends or Cheers, where people, everybody knows each other. And that's how it is in the ballparks. At least it was in the ballparks where I worked in Washington and Baltimore. What were some of the most exciting events that you got to cover over the years? Oh, Look, I'll, I'll just name a few real quick. Uh, the Kentucky Derbies, I worked like half a dozen Kentucky Derbies. They were always fun to work. Um, I worked the World Series in Philadelphia a few times. I worked all the playoffs in Atlanta's Fulton County Stadium and all in the World Series there. That was exciting. The Olympics, of course, was very exciting. The spring training, I love spring training. I was in Florida from 1987 and until just three years ago uh, when COVID hit is when that stopped. Uh, so I would go to spring training for the month of March. That was wonderful. And of course, the concerts, you got to Elton John, the McCartney, the U2, all these things. But the single most exciting event, the one that I felt like, boy, I'm in the center of the world, was when Cal Ripken broke the uh, Lou Gehrig's streak. Uh, oh, you were there for that? Sure, I was there. I was I was a top one of the top vendors. I was there for Cal's whole career. I was there the entire Whoa. time. I started work at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore in May of 1982. That's the same time that Cal started his streak. But when that was building up, 
the numbers on the warehouse uh, coming down. And it was just incredible to actually be there. What was that like? Well, it was chill bumps one after another. It was a big, big, big night. Tell me a little bit about how the job works. Like, are you paid by the hour or are you paid a commission on what you sell or how does it work? In recent years, they've they give you a minimum wage paid by the hour, but I never drew that once, and I never did, and not many vendors will. Uh, you're paid commission depending upon where you work. It be it could be anywhere from eight percent to seventeen percent of whatever you sell. So if you sell a beer uh, nowadays, the beers go say ten to twelve dollars for a, a domestic beer. You sell one beer, you're making a dollar seventy. And then sometimes there were the gratuities, and then now they everything's credit card now in the ballparks that I worked uh, in the old days. It was cash, but there's still gratuities. So that's how you're compensated. You're compensated commission and plus whatever gratuities that the customer puts on the credit card. And so what, um, if you don't mind me asking, like what can a good vendor make? A good vendor, you know, there were events where you make five, $600 in an event. Whoa. And sometimes more like the Kentucky Derby. I mean, big ticket items. Those products are very expensive and you can make a lot of money. But on an average night in a ballpark, I don't know, 150 bucks, you know, which is pretty good money for three hours of work. And I'd say a good vendor now, uh, my guess is they can make thirty to $40,000 a year. That's a, that would be a good guess on my part. So this is not just a sidelight. Like, this can be your actual career. Like, this is what you spent your career doing, yeah? Well, I did. And and in a way, you know, uh, a reporter did a story on me a few years ago in which uh, I told him, I had relatives that said, man, you squandered your life. You had so much potential to do so many things. And I said, no, I didn't. I've had a great life. I, it gave me a lot of free time. I worked very, very hard. I never missed work. I never complained about the job. I kept my nose clean, and I loved it, and I was able to make a living. But no, could I buy a brand new car? No. Could I get a big house? No. Could I take uh, vacations to the Caribbean or you know, fly to Europe? No. But could I have a good life? The answer was yes, a very, very, very good life in my mind. And I loved what I was doing. And, and I know for a fact that I brought something good to the ballpark and that the people brought something good back to me. So you mentioned that your family was saying you squandered your life. Like, what was that dynamic like? Were they trying to get you to switch professions or? No, the, the it wasn't really so much that. It was just that in moments of, of quiet reflection, there were comments that I had so much potential, as so many parents do with their children and other relatives. You know, I was expected to do something with my life in the traditional sense of the 1950s, 60s generation. You know, go to college, get a job, raise a family, and, you know, kind of leave your mark in, in some way. But I got actually a little bit testy one time, and I said, if I had developed a nuclear warhead, would you be proud of me? If I was a bomber, if I was, if I was operating in a strategic air command and, and bombing people from my little video game command center, would you say, oh, my son's a big military member? You know, would that make you proud? Would you be able to brag upon me then? You know, no. You're, you know what? If you want to brag about your children or you want to talk about your family members— I would prefer that you just say he was kind. He worked hard. He was honest. 
And uh, he tried to make the world a little bit better because of his interactions with people. So I know that the familiar faces in the stands were some of the best things about the job, but I imagine the customers could be some of the worst things about the job too. I mean, I've seen a lot of drunk people in stadiums and I imagine you've seen about a hundred times more. What was that like? I think one of the most difficult parts of the job, and I'll go way back to Memorial Stadium to a family that I knew, a father, he would come to the game with his two sons. And he liked me and right away he made me his beer man. You know, Howard, I want you to be my beer man. A heavy tipper. It was his back beers were like three fifty. He'd give me a five dollar bill and say, "Keep it." Well, he drank a beer. He drank another beer, and things were fine. And then he'd want another beer, and things were not fine after the third beer. And sometimes he was not nice. Where you been, man? I tip you money. What the hell do you think I'm? I tip you, man. Where you been? And I'd be like, "Whoa, whoa!" You know, in front of the kids, he'd act like that. Mm. And I didn't want to sell him beer. And uh, I told him, I had to talk with him. It was one of the very first times that I had any courage uh, regarding this particular issue. And I took him aside and I said, I need to talk to you. And I talked to him and told him, he said, and he gave me, he cussed me, man. He was straight when he did it too. He was sober. But he said, who do you think you are? You know, you telling me, uh, you know, I got, there's other vendors out there, blah, blah, blah. And, well, he came back and apologized to me uh, later, maybe about a month later. And then he told me, he said, listen, just let me know when I get like that. And I told him, I said, here's the deal. I'll sell you two beers a night, and that's it. Because when you hit the third beer, that's when you start to get rough. And we went with that. And then one day, like a couple years later, he says, I'm in the program. And I smiled, and we hugged each other, and we cried. We cried. And I said, I'm so glad for you and for everybody concerned. But that lesson for me was that I had a few regular customers that, uh, that I lost because I would not sell them beer because it made me ashamed of I was part of feeding a disease. It was, and, and I have to recognize that's the reality of what I did. There were probably people that I did not know were uh, getting drunk uh, and I was feeding their disease. But I can look the Almighty in front of all things visible and invisible and say that I never knowingly sold an alcoholic beverage to somebody that I knew was intoxicated, not because I was fearful for my job, but because morally it's reprehensible. I just wanted to jump in here to ask a quick question. If you could talk with anyone in your life about their job, who would it be? Your auto mechanic, your neighbor, the registered nurse, maybe a childhood friend who's a zookeeper. Tell us about them and we'll be the ones to pester them with a hundred nosy questions. We're always looking for new people to talk to. So if you know someone who loves their job and is a great storyteller, tell us about them. Just email us at jobs at what it's like.com. That's jobs at what it's like.com. Thanks, folks. What was your record sales event? Do you know? Well, I don't want to exaggerate. I'll, I'll tell you this. Back in the days when we could sell nine innings, I sold 27 cases of beer at Memorial Stadium uh, one game, and I sold 34 in a doubleheader. But there were a couple other vendors that sold more than that. There's a, there's a guy, Clancy, in Baltimore. He's a celebrity vendor, very famous vendor. And uh, 
I could not sell as many beers as he could on any given day. This guy was a, a physical specimen, as well as another guy, Jerry Collier, was a, they used to call him the Terminator because he's like six foot five, 240, 250. He could carry triple cases like nothing. And then there was another guy named Perry Hahn that we used to carry four racks of sodas. I don't know how the guy did it. And this guy could carry like, <laughs> 96 sodas. I don't know. His arms were like down below his knees. Oh, my and God. They, the funny thing about him, he used to wear a uh, bandana with a uh, big red rising sun on it, the samurai. They used to call him the samurai vendor. And the vendors have had a lot of sticks over the years. They, they do different things, pitter-patter, the way that they do it. And uh, God, I love these stories of the other vendors. It's just like... Uh... <laughs> Uh, it, it's like people have these different characters, you know? It's like one guy's known for being huge and the other guy's the samurai guy. And right, and they, they had patter. I used to like to listen to them. You know, one guy, he's deceased, a guy named Manny, he used to stand at the bottom of the aisle and he'd pick ice up in his hand and hold it and rub his hands together and ice would come down over top of his beer. And his pitch was, you don't have to worry if my beer is cold. And people would like that. <laughs> people would laugh and, and do that. And Clancy used to make these lines. He do. Why stand in line when you can buy mine? Who's due for a cold brew? You want a fancy, you got to buy your beer from Clancy. And it worked. It was good. We had one vendor, I won't name him. He used to go in the locker room. He'd stand in front of the mirror making faces to practice his expressions for the customers. It'd be like surprise or wonder. It used to make, really? and yeah, listen, here's, here's his picture. Ready? Hey, let's get this party started. And he'd have a big smile on his face and show, throw his hands up in the air. He practiced that stuff in the mirror in the, in the locker room. I never cared for that. In fact, I, um, I feel like William H. Macy is going to play that dude in a movie someday. <laughs> that is, that, is, that, that well, is corny. Well, I, I thought it was, but you know what? He had a very, very loyal, younger clientele that they would buy beer from him and they loved him. And what was your pattern? Give us some Howard pattern. <laughs> well, mine was more conversation. Beautiful night for a ball game. But early on, here you go. Here's an early on. When I started out, I wore some shoes that had holes in the bottom of them and I'd hold my foot up and I'd say, Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> he needs a beer. Howard spent a lot of his career working at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, where the Orioles played baseball. So eventually the team moves to a new stadium, Camden Yards, and it's time to shut down Memorial Stadium for good. Howard told an incredible story about that last game. When Memorial Stadium was closing, the last game in that stadium, you could not get a ticket. Tickets were going for $1,000 because everybody in Baltimore that had been part of that stadium wanted to be at that last game. And one of my regular customers, a guy named Dave Ely, who was actually the very first customer to call me by name and say, I'll never forget it. I was selling a bush beer at the time. And he said to me, hey, hey, beer man, come here. And I said, yeah, we're going to do it. He says, I got Sunday season tickets. I come every Sunday from Norfolk, Virginia with three of my buddies, and we want you to be our beer man. What's your name? And I said, uh, Howard. And he said, my name is Dave, and this is Mike, and this is Chuck. And, and they introduced me. Well, that was in 1983. And in 1991, he said to me, your last game of the year, he says, is your wife coming? I said, I can't get her a ticket. I can't afford a ticket. He says, your wife should be here for the last game. And I said to him, Dave, I tell, I just, I'm telling you, I can't get a ticket. He said, I got a ticket for your wife. 
And I said, how much is it going to cost me? He said, what are you, crazy? He said, it's not going to cost you anything. And I said to him, Dave, I can't take that ticket. He said, you can and you will. And he gave me the ticket the last game at Memorial Stadium. My wife sat with him at the last game at Memorial Stadium. And they Incredible. sat together. And, and the kind of neat thing was they did a little article in the Sun paper, the daily paper here. And they had a picture of me with my wife uh, and Dave at the last game at Memorial Stadium. And uh, actually, the last beer, when it was over, I took off my uniform. The very, it was because you had to stop in the seventh inning. I took off my uniform and I said, the last beer is for me. And the last beer that I opened at Memorial Stadium, I drank it myself. Howard, we always end our episodes with a quick lightning round of questions. So uh, here goes. What's a word or phrase that only someone from the vending world would be likely to know? And what does it mean? Pass out. Pass out. That means you sold every product you had. There was nothing left. I passed out is a good thing. No, no, like not passed with E-D, just a pass out. P-A-S-S, okay. pass out. And actually, that's a Chicago term. <laughs> that's where that originated. <laughs> they've got quite a vending, man. That's a strong, they've got books about them. They've got books about Wrigley vendors and about Comiskey Park vendors. Pretty cool. Okay, next. What's the most insulting thing you could say about a vendor's work? Cheat. A cheat. Cheat? A cheat, yeah, cheat. Meaning meaning what? You're dishonest, you know? I mean, the, 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 the casual term is bum, or, but that's not the worst. The worst thing is when a vendor is known to be a cheater. They cheat the vending room, or they cheat the other vendors, or they cheat a customer. If you know somebody's a cheat, that's the worst thing you can call them. What's your favorite tool that you got to use in your job? I had a, a can opener back in the days when we had the shotgun to pour the beer quickly. You used to have to pour the beers. And that was the one thing in which I excelled. That's one of the reasons why I was the number one vendor. I would put two cups in my fingers on my left hand. And uh, before I did that, though, you would pop the can and then put a hole in the backside of the can so it would pour quicker. If you didn't put that in, you would get a lot of foam and you couldn't get the whole can into the cup. So I uh, I had a heavy-duty old antique, what we called a church key back in the day. And uh, I loved that. I carried that with me. In fact, I still have it. And it hangs on the wall in my bedroom. I love that. What phrase or sentence strikes fear into the heart of a vendor? Secret shoppers. <laughs> that, means, <laughs> that, that means the company has people out there that are underage that are going to try to buy beers from you. And, oh, uh, I didn't think of I thought you just meant in terms of like, how's the experience, but they're actually trying to do a sting. No, no, they are. In fact, I, I lost my job one time on that. It was insanity. Oh, but then God. they had a video. They had a camera in their cap. And the truth was, um, you're only allowed to sell two beers to one person. And I sold three mm -hmm. beers. But I actually sold three beers to two people, and the, and the video proved that. I got my job back. Uh, took a while. I missed, I missed a few games because of it. But I was so grateful because there is no union in Washington, and uh, the company went to bat for me. And I, I will always treasure that memory of them uh, standing up for me. I've only got one more question for you. Go ahead. Do you think you'll ever vend again? <laughs> um, I 
I don't know. I, I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I'd, I'd like to. I would, uh, I'd like to be able to go back to, uh, Baltimore and Washington for like one more homestand in each ballpark and, uh, hmm. work in, and see the people, not really so much to work, but to have that uniform on that gives you access to everything. You know, you got that uniform yeah. and go up and down the aisles and just look at the faces and, uh, and kind of burn those memories. I mean, I don't need to, I've got them, but now that I know that it really is over, uh, the way it ended with COVID and, uh, and the different situations in my life that have created the inability to, to vend, I, uh, I'd like to, whether it'll happen or not. I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to go to Florida one more time, too. I would, oh, Lord, would I love to go to, how I'd love to go to Clearwater one more time and be in that small ballpark and look out over the center field and look up at the osprey nest and and just see the palm trees. And I would love it. Yeah, I would love that. Howard Hart is retired now and lives in Western North Carolina. That conversation went such a different direction than I expected. Like, I didn't expect to be moved by a beer vendor. But I guess that's the point, right? That you can make your job as big or small as you want. Like, here is the ultimate transactional job. The guy who walks the stairs and charges you $14 for a beer. And yet... He made something bigger from it. It's like over time, you get to recognize his face, and then you're making small talk together, and then uh, you make inside jokes about the crazy samurai beer vendor, and then you see him at the game a dozen times a year, and suddenly you know what's going on in his life, and he knows what's going on in your life, and around you are a hundred other people with that same relationship. And then one day, you come to a game, and... Howard's not there, and you feel it. There's an absence. And I think there's something remarkable about that, that he conjured meaning from his work by cultivating a community. And folks, that's what it's like to be a stadium beer vendor. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. This is the first episode of a brand new show. Give us a rating. Tell a friend about it. And drop me a line. I'd love to hear what you think of it. My email address is dan at whatitslike.com. No apostrophes in there, just dan at whatitslike.com. So our plan here is to drop new episodes of the show every two weeks. But for the launch of the show, we have something special. We're dropping three episodes all at once for you to binge. So right now, you've got a decision to make. Do you want to find out what it's like to be a criminal defense attorney? If you've got a good reason and if you're passionate about this work, then I can't think of a job that exists on the face of the planet that is better. Or do you want to find out what it's like to be a couples therapist? I paused for a second and I said, let me just see if I can speak for you, if that's okay. And so I spoke for the female and I looked directly at the man in his eyes and I said, honey, When you're struggling and you're in pain and you're emotional, 
it's really scary for me. And I don't know how to respond to you. And I definitely don't know how to make it better. I'm Dan Heath. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. <laughs>